The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I have uh, seemingly been overwhelmed with feelings this week and not a lot of light on necessarily what it is that the Lord wants me to preach on. But, uh, but I'll tell you this, uh, one of the things that I have found in my life, not just as a minister, but as just as a Christian trying to walk and to serve the Lord, is that when I don't know where to go, going to Jesus is always the right place. So this morning I want us to look in the Philippian letter, and I want to jump right in the middle of it in the third chapter of the epistle of Paul to the Philippians. And there's a verse that I want to reach out and grab, uh, not necessarily out of context, I don't mean that, but we're going to go back and look at some verses around it, but, but I want you to look at with me at verse 10, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. And this is what Paul says right in the middle of an important chapter in this Bible. He's, he's building up to something, and he's laying out a case for something, and, and he he almost as if he comes to the pinnacle of his whole argument, his whole approach in Philippians 3. In, in, there in verse 10, he says, that I may know him, speaking of Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I can't think of a better thing to seek after today in the midst of turmoil and trouble and sorrow and all kinds of bad news, all kinds of disappointments, all kinds of troubles, than to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Beloved, this morning it's my desire that we look to Him and maybe come away with a little better knowledge of Him it's the most important need that we all have every day, but certainly in days like today, is to know Jesus. You think you know, you think you need more money, you really need more Jesus. You think you need more power, you really need more Jesus. You think you need your political candidate to win, you really need Jesus, you see. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, now, let me set the context just for a minute here of the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to Philippi. There were a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of trouble in Paul's life at this time. He was in prison in Rome. This is considered to be the last of the prison epistles that he wrote. He was in a prison in Rome. And he's writing this letter not necessarily to respond to any kind of problem. It's almost like a, a farewell letter to a church that he had great love for. You remember he spent several months in Philippi in the book of Acts during his second missionary journey. You may remember Lydia, the seller of purple, whose heart the Lord opened. Remember that? And she, and she was attendant to the things that Paul taught. You may remember a Philippian jailer. Who, uh, who, who wasn't seeking Jesus, but found him nonetheless. Jesus found him, if you will. Uh, there, Paul and the whole family of that Philippian jailer ended up converting to the truth of the gospel. And, and you remember that there was some great, there was some, 
There were some dear times. There were some special times Paul had in Philippi. And as he's sitting in prison, and now this is not the dungeon prison. This is probably the time he was in a rental house and he was, uh, uh, he was uh, 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 able to have visitors and able to have people come see him. But nevertheless, in the first chapter, in the 12th verse, he says, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, speaking of some things that have happened to him, have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ... My bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. I think about this week particularly that we've had a contest. We've had a, an, a, a political contest in our nation. And, and, and according to the final vote tallies, it appear to be almost evenly divided in this nation. We have about 70 million on each side that are, uh, you know, set, there's half of them are ecstatic, half of us are not so happy, okay? But I'll tell you this, that uh, Paul would not have been happy. He, you know, you don't think of someone who's in prison or in bonds as being successful. But Paul didn't care about his status. He didn't care about whether he was with the in crowd politically. There were times when there were those in the palace that were on his side. But his goal wasn't to get those in the palace on his side so he could be released from prison. His goal was to serve Jesus no matter where it was. And he said, the things that have happened to me, they've actually fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. They're bad for me, but they're good for my, uh, my preaching. They're good for my ministry. I want to tell you, beloved, there is a ministry that every one of us has, and I don't care. You, it, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter what your affiliation is. There are people that you have a ministry unto that you can talk to that I can't. I've seen that happen this very week as in a very manifest way. There are people that others can minister to. See, I'm the minister. I'm the pastor, yes. Brother Buddy and I are ordained ministers, okay? But, uh, but we're not the only ministers in this church. Everyone in this church, you are a minister. You have a ministry. You have a circle of influence. And everything that's happening to you that seems bad, and it is bad, I don't believe, you know, none of these, some of these things we've heard about that we've been praying for are bad. They're not good for you. But I'll tell you this, in the midst of all of them, in the midst of the bad things that were happening to Paul, he says, look, I've kind of stepped back and I've got a different view of what's going on. Instead of being self-focused and, and having zeroed in on my pain and my struggles, I see that these things are helping me. I'm able to minister in a way that I wasn't able to minister before. That doesn't mean God's working all these things, you know. He doesn't work with Satan. But it does mean God is providentially overruling them. God's not gone just because someone lost an election. God's not gone because someone committed suicide. God's not gone because you're sick or your children are sick or you've estranged from your family or your children are disappointing you or your spouse is disappointing you or your parents are disappointing you or whatever it may be God's not limited he's not off the throne this election as I said earlier in, in today the election hasn't budged God one bit I, I I love what brother Mike Ivey said he was watching one of the presidential debates and he turned it off because he got tired of it and he said it didn't bother me one bit to turn it off he said you know why because there's not one thing either one of those men could say or do that will affect the resurrection in any way. <laughs> it's not going to delay it. It's not going to keep somebody out of it. It's not going to cause any problems for God. And so therein is where our hope lies. Paul needed, 
He, he needed this kind of focus, and the Philippians needed that kind of focus. And, and his purpose in writing this was to encourage and to thank this sweet church, this sweet group of believers that had been so special for him. Don't we need such encouragement today? Don't we need it? So in our way of, in our limited time, instead I'd love to go through the whole book of Philippians, but in our limited time, let's go back to this sort of punctuation mark on his whole, whole letter here where he says, my, my goal in this life, my goal in this letter, my goal in my ministry is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So let's, let's talk about him. As I said this morning, I've struggled. I've struggled all week. I've struggled especially in the last couple of days. Where do I, what do I need to preach on, Lord? Where do I need to go? Let's just go to Jesus. Let's just look at Jesus. Sometimes we just need to look at Jesus and to know him a little better. The person of Jesus, who he really is, the person. Of, let, me, let me say to you, and I think this is so important, especially in times of trouble. I know Jesus is seated on his throne in heaven. I know that. I know he's God. He is. But Jesus is a real, living, loving person. He, he's not... You know, so all the religions of the world, they have leaders that are, that are dead and gone, okay? They're, they were alive at one time, and, and now they're dead. And their, their bones have no doubt disintegrated. Their, their bodies are, are no longer, okay? Jesus is a real, living, loving person. He is alive Today, the, and the personhood of the Lord Jesus Christ is of paramount importance in our lives. In our daily walk, we need to understand that He is a real, living, loving person. Okay? We often hear about a personal Savior. And I know the world kind of gets that mixed up, at least in that song. But I'll tell you this, beloved. He is that personal Savior. I heard it said once by a preacher that, I, uh, that I've, I've known for a long time. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ would have gone to the cross and died if I had been the only one in the covenant of grace. I know he saved his people from their sins. I know it's a vast number that cannot be, a multitude that cannot be numbered. I understand that, that, that we're so excited about being in heaven one day with all of the children of God. But listen to me, if it was only you, he would have died anyway. He wouldn't have come down here and said, wait a minute, you mean there's only one? Oh, well, I don't know if it's worth it. Well, I know I'm not worth it. But the preacher, as I've said, that, that, that made the statement said, I know I'm not worth it. I know I'm not worth anyone dying for, but he would have died for me if I'd have been the only one in the covenant of grace. He is a personal Savior. It's wonderful that he saved his people from their sins, but it's even more glorious that he saved me from my sins, you see. See, that's something we don't need to lose sight of. He walked here in this life. He wept here in this life. He took little children up in his arms and he hugged them and he held them. John, the apostle, the beloved apostle, laid his head on Jesus' breast. Oh, beloved, I long for the day when I can lay my head on Jesus' breast. 
I look so forward to that song we sang, uh, God be with you till we meet again. I look so forward to meeting my loved ones again. My dear father that, that died this year, I look so forward to seeing him again. But I tell you, if you want to find me in heaven, look for me at the feet of Jesus. I want to lay my head on Jesus' breast. I want to recline in his bosom and, and feel the comfort unlike anything my mother or my father could, have ever, could ever give me in this life. See, he took on humanity. He took on him. I know, don't, listen, I'm not preaching him any less divine than he, than he is. He was truly God. He was, he was, he was divinity incarnate. But, but Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that um, in the second chapter, he says in verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. You know who the best leaders are? The best leaders in your workplace or your political arenas or wherever you may be, the best leaders are the ones that will get down with the followers and do the work with them. You know, leading by example. That's the servant leadership that we're supposed to be pursuing. That's the best leaders. And you know, the best of all leaders was the Lord Jesus Christ because he said, you know, my children are partakers of flesh and blood, so I am going to partake of flesh and blood. The pantheon of gods and goddesses of the old Greeks and the Romans could not identify with the humans that they lorded it over, and they truly lorded it over them. They were not loving. They were all the time tricking them and, 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 and getting mad at them and acting just like them, really, and causing problems for them. But, but our God, our Lord, who is our loving, living, real person, real Savior, He, he came down, and He got down and dirty with us, if you will. Now, I don't mean by that that he had a sin nature. He had no sin nature. He didn't get dirtied by the, by the taint of sin. Oh, but he got, his, he got his feet dirty in the dusty roads of this graveyard earth, this sin-cursed world that we're talking about. He is a real, living, loving person. And we're going to see him one day. And he is the most amazing person with a capital P that has ever lived. Mark tells us he's the son of God. Luke tells us he's the son of man. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us he's the savior of sinners. In, Luke, in Luke's gospel, we, in the episode with Zacchaeus there, we, we find that he's the seeker of the lost. He's the sympathizer of the suffering. He is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He is, he is uh, the captain of our salvation who, who was made perfect through suffering. He is the supervisor of legions of angels that he could have called to deliver him from the cross. And yet he's the pursuer of little children who he called to his side and he held them up close and said, Don't you turn them away. Suffer the little children to come unto me. See, the most amazing person who has ever lived this living, loving Savior of ours. And he says in our text, he says, I want to know him. My goal is that I may know him and listen, and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. So, so I want to know who he really is, and I want to know what he really did. 
I want to know what his work was all about. My goal as I live in this life, Paul says, is to learn more and more about this person, this God who was made flesh, who is my Lord and my Savior. I want to know more about him. And not only that, I want to know about the power of his resurrection. You see, the resurrection punctuated the redemptive work of God. It was a necessary part of that. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, we're told He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If I go out today, if I stood here today, and God forbid I ever do that, I hope, I hope y'all either tackle me or shoot me if I do. If I ever claim to be Jesus Christ, if I ever said I'm Jesus and I'm the Savior, then all you got to do to know whether I'm telling you the truth or not by... I hope you know anyway, but all, I, all you got to do to really prove it is go out there and bury me when I die and wait and see if I rise again. <laughs> see, if I rise again, I'm him. <laughs> I got news for you. You're going to be waiting a long time. You're going to be waiting until the Lord comes back to resurrect me <laughs> uh, in the final resurrection. You see, the resurrection, though, of the Lord Jesus Christ was God telling us I am satisfied with what he did. I am satisfied with what the work that he performed. Over in the book of Acts, uh, the, 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 the 13th chapter, uh, he says unto them here, Paul is preaching his first major message, really the first one we have really recorded here. And he starts telling them about, uh, about the history of, of Israel there. And he talks about Saul. Then he talks about David. And, and then he talks about the fact that God had promised of David's seed to raise up unto Israel a Savior. And then John comes on the scene. And John says, I'm not him either. I'm not him. <laughs> and he says, uh, he says, the shoes of this man, I'm not worthy to unlatch them. And then he tells about what Jesus did. It says that in verse 28, it says, And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain, speaking of Jesus. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. And now to this point, beloved, Christianity is just like every other major religion. To this point... Every, the leader of every other major religion has been laid in a tomb somewhere. To this point, there's no difference. But praise God, it doesn't stop at this point. He says, they laid him in a sepulcher, but verse 30, but God, but God raised him from the dead. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the proofs of his resurrection. In verse 32, he says, and we declare unto you glad tidings. Beloved, this morning I've got some glad tidings for you. The glad tidings, the gladdest of the glad tidings is that Jesus did not stay in the grave. The, the resurrection punctuated the work of Jesus on the cross, which was to come and to pay the sin debt for every single one of his children. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what Gabriel told Matthew? I told uh, Joseph and Matthew, he said, said yeah, your, your wife, is, she's going to have a child. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he's going to try to save his people if he can. No, for he shall save his people from their sins. Praise God. You know how we know he did it? Because he's not in the grave anymore. 
He's not in the grave. We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children. How? In that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is already also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Oh, I could go through all that. That 13th chapter is so rich. And it fulfills so many prophecies and explains so much in the Old Testament. But beloved, just understand this. The power of the resurrection is real. Because it is that which proves unto us that what he said he would do, he did on the cross. He paid the sin debt for every single one of his children. You know, that's not a brand new thing, by the way. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't that, G, that God looked down and said, uh-oh, I messed up. The, the people need some help. I think I'll, uh, I, I, Jesus, come here. Let's, let's get together, huddle together at halftime and make a new plan. Isn't that what coaches do at halftime? You know, they're losing. Something's happened bad. And at halftime, they get together and they make a new plan. God didn't make a new plan. He stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, God didn't, Put Adam, create Adam and put him in Eden and say, oops, he messed up. Now let's do something. No, the Lord, the Lord knew what was going to happen. He didn't cause it to happen. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Adam was the only person that's ever existed that had truly had free will. (laughs) He had the ability to serve God, to please God. He had the ability to disappoint him and to go against him. And and listen, the one person with free will, that's one reason I don't believe in free will salvation, because if it was left up to my free will, I would freely choose to to follow the wrong path. (laughs) I do it too often anyway. But because Adam, who was wasn't he wasn't created perfect. He wasn't created impeccable, but he was created uh, innocent. And even Adam made the wrong choice. Oh, beloved, what do you think about you and I? <laughs> but you see, he didn't cause Adam to do that. But when Adam did that, Adam plunged his progeny, plunged his descendants into into the curse of sin. The curse. You want to know? You want to know why things happen like what have happened this week? You want to know why people are sick and dying? You don't know. Somebody, you want to, certainly we can blame China for the coronavirus. I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that. I don't know the details. You can blame uh, others for, for all kinds of things. But let me tell you, you want to know where the blame actually lies? It lies at the feet of Adam. It lies at the feet of Adam. Why do bad things happen to God's people? You can go back and see that Adam brought sin into this world. I know the devil was a tempter, so he's, he's, to, be, he's to be hated as well. <laughs> but it says, by, as through one man, sin entered into this world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's, that's why we have these troubles. That's why we have weeks like this. That's why we have bad news. That's why, that's why I have had to t- carry bad news to so many people through my life, and you have too. One day, one day all it'll be is good news. But right now, that's the reason. But the power, see, it's not a brand new thing. The Lord, he stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We're told in Jeremiah chapter 31, he's loved us, what? With an everlasting love. We're told in Psalm 103 that his, his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. I like that because that tells me it doesn't just start at some point in time and go forward. It tells me it goes all the way back to before time. I can't even fathom that. I, I, can't fathom, I can kind of get in my head infinity forward, you know, in the future. I can't get in my head infinity into the past. 
I just can't comprehend it. But God is, is, is greater than infinity. <laughs> He's greater than eternity. His mercies are from everlasting in the past to everlasting in the future. That's why I believe that our salvation is secure in Him. And you know, the power of the resurrection is something, as Paul said, I want to know more about it. I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection because not only does it reach back into the past and explain to us what happened, but it places us in a position of sonship with God. Listen, listen to this. I, can, you, can you fathom that? Can you fathom that you and I are children of God? John had a hard time with it. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 1, listen to what he said. Behold, what manner of, the, of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I can just hear the incredulity in his voice. I can just hear the awe in his voice. It's, 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 it's almost an incredulous cry here. Behold, what manner. Have you ever just stopped and said, Lord, I can't believe I'm a child of God. What, what manner of love you must have for me. You know me. You know me better than my wife knows me. You know me better than I know myself. What manner of love that I should be called a son of God. Is that, is that not incredible? You know, it's the same kind of cry that Mary, Mary made in Luke, the first chapter, after, after the angel came to her and said, uh, and said to her that you're going to have this child that's going to be God, going to be fully God and fully man. She said, she said uh, he that is mighty hath done unto me great things. I can just see her, her incredulous face. You know, you know uh, David, when promised... That, or when told he can't build the temple, but when promised that uh, his, his seed would never leave the throne, and of course that's the prophecy of Christ, he said, who am I and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? Do you march into church and say, Lord, I deserve this. This is mine. I'm gonna, you know, that's what we're taught to do. Oh, name it and claim it. <laughs> name it and claim it. You just, you just work up enough faith and, uh, and, and you can move mountains. You can do what? Just, just reach down and you reel you. Listen, beloved, I don't want the real me, okay? I want the real spiritual me, but the real me in this life is, is, is the sorriest devil there is, okay? <clears throat> the power of his resurrection is to place us in a position of sonship with God. You remember what John said in the very first chapter? I, I love the Gospel of John. I know we've been studying through Mark, but I'd, I'd like to do a study through John sometime as well. And he said here in verse 11, or in verse uh, 10, speaking of Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. You'd think that the Creator would be known by the creation, but He wasn't. He wasn't. You know, there's more on that later, but... But the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to those Jews there that should have known that he, who he was, they should have accepted him as their Messiah, and they didn't even know who he was. But listen to this. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or authority there to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, that's not all the story, because notice in verse 13, he tells us a little something about those that believe on his name, which were born, 
the new birth is important. We're going to get to that in a minute, the Lord willing, but they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But you see what he's saying here? He says we are, we are uh, redeemed. We are redeemed. The power of his resurrection is that we are now sons of God. And it also points us to the ultimate hope of our own lives. Now, let me just say this. According to Philippians here, the third chapter that we're in, I can attain unto the resurrection today. Notice, notice in verse 11, he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Remember, beloved, there, you know, eternal salvation is solely in the hands of the Lord, but our daily walk, our timely blessings, our timely salvation, if you will, is up to us, whether we are blessed or whether we are cursed. And did you know that you you don't have to wait for the resurrection to lay hold of the resurrection. <laughs> you don't have to. Listen, I can attain unto it. They said, Paul says, I'm trying by any means to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That word attain means to arrive at or to come to. And then there's another definition I like. It says to place over against or opposite another. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me when I hear the news like I've heard this week, when I see the turmoil like I've seen this week, when I know the problems that I have in my life, the struggles that I have, I can take all of those struggles and all of those troubles and I can lay the resurrection over against them. I can compare it unto them and I have attained unto the resurrection. I have laid hold of it now. I know I'm not resurrected. I know you're not. <laughs> you don't look glorified, but neither do I. I know. <laughs> But one day we're going to be, and we can attain unto it now. We can enjoy it now in prospect. This is such a terrible analogy. And some of you won't get it because you don't like this, going to Disney World. But I remember when the kids were younger, and we would, uh, we would plan a trip to Disney World, okay? Don't shake your head, Dylan. I see you back there. <laughs> some of you don't like Disney World. Just pretend you like Disney World, all right, to get this. So, so we had this big trip planned when they were little. And, you know, they were sometimes more excited, it seemed like, leading up to the trip than they were when they got there. I remember one time when, you know, once you get there, you're worn out, you wear yourself out, you know. <laughs> I remember one time, Austin, we were, we'd been, had a long day there, and he was about seven or eight years old, and he leaned over on my shoulder, nearly, nearly conked out, and he looked up at, at me and said, Daddy, are we having fun? And I said, <laughs> I said yeah, we're having fun, and you better not forget it either, son. So, but <laughs> the resurrection is not going to be like that, okay? I promise you. But, but, but think about this. When you, it's, it's, think of something you've anticipated, you've looked forward to. And, 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 and you can, I would, when we would have some trip planned like that or some big trip out west or something that we planned, you know, I'd be focused on my work and I'd get, oh, man, this is so, oh, this is difficult and I'm bored and I'm tired and I'm frustrated. Hey, we're leaving Monday going on this trip. And I'd get to thinking about it and my whole countenance would perk up. Now, we're not at the trip. We're not on the trip yet, but I laid hold of it. I got, a, I got to thinking about it. I said, you know, right now I'm, I'm down here having to get my hands dirty doing all this stuff that I don't 
don't like to do, but just a few more days. And I'm not going to have to worry about that. I can, I'm going to enjoy this trip. Well, beloved, take whatever you've anticipated in your whole life and, and lay it aside, throw it away, because it will never compare to the resurrection. If you can keep your mind on the resurrection, you can attain unto the resurrection today. <laughs> What a tumultuous time we're in. How much turmoil we have. How much sickness and sadness and sorrow we're in, enduring. But listen, if the resurrection happens in the next 30 seconds, you won't have to worry about all of that. See, the power of His resurrection points us to our resurrection. And that's the thing that we anticipate or should anticipate more than anything in this whole world. Are you looking forward to getting married? Are you looking forward to having children? Are you looking forward to something in your work or something in your recreation? There's nothing compared to the resurrection. All of that will go aside. You won't even remember those things in the way that you think of them now. The resurrection, it points us to our resurrection. And part of the point of this chapter here is that I can live a resurrected life right now. Going back, I told you we'd try to go back and pick up on some of this. In the, in the very first verse of chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, how can he write this when he's in prison? How can he write this when... He's no doubt anticipating his martyrdom. The time's coming soon when he's going to be killed at the hands of Nero. And I'm sure Paul knew that at any moment he was, he was potentially in danger of his life. But he says, finally, he says, listen, the last thing I want to tell you, and if I had, if, if the Lord is, a, if I'm about to die, if the Lord is about to if I'm about to leave this world, if the Lord is about to move me away, or something, the last thing I want to tell you, beloved, is to rejoice in the Lord. How do I do this? Well, he goes on here, and I'm not going to read it all, but he says, hey, listen, now I could have confidence in the flesh. There's none of y'all got what I got. <laughs> he said, I, I'm a, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Man, if, if anybody could... Could, could claim confidence in, my, in the flesh. It's me, Paul says. He says, I, I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I'm, I'm, I'm a zealous person. I, I even persecuted the church. <laughs> but you know what he said? He said, I want to live a resurrected life. And this is how. Verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss. Christ. I'm not going to take the time to list all the things that I think of as gain, but you think about it in your own life. What, what my list might not have the same things on it that your list has, you know. But I'll tell you, beloved, whatever list you can make of whatever you think is gain, Paul says that's just loss. He says, I count it loss. It doesn't mean we, stop, we quit work and we go home and we just sit down and wait to die. That's not what he's talking about. He said, keep working. He said, if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. Let him be an infidel. You know, keep doing your job. Keep working. But don't put your hope in your job. Don't put your trust in your riches. They make them, themselves wings and fly away. He says, yea, doubtless. There's no doubt to what I'm about to say. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. We know what dung is. We know how much value it has. A big fat zero, right? And anything you can think of in your life that you think is gain, you can just put it on the dung heap, beloved. Because apart from Christ, there is nothing of any value. He says, I count all of this but dung that I may win Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that I may uh, do enough good works to be able to get to heaven. But what he's talking about is in this life, having been born of the Spirit, having been made whole through the, through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, having been born again by the Holy Spirit of God, I now have a walk, I now have a struggle, and my struggle is to try to win Christ here and now. You go out Monday and you face the world, but you need to remember that you can win Christ. Yes, you're a child of God. Yes, you're going to be in heaven, but win him now. Don't wait till heaven. I don't want to walk through the portals of glory and say, wow, look what all I missed down there. Because I, I wasn't living a resurrected life. He says, and being, and he goes on to explain that, verse 9, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And that's when he brings us to that, that penultimate declaration that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He's saying that this resurrection power, this resurrection of Jesus Christ, it points us back to the redemptive work and it puts us in a position of being able to serve him, but it points us to the ultimate hope of our lives, which is that I not only can live a resurrected life, but I can look forward to a resurrected body. Look down in verse 20. We, we not, we're, well, let's, read, let's read on here just a few, few more verses and Beginning in verse 11, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as, now listen to verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. He's saying, I'm striving for something I will not achieve in this life, but I'm striving for it anyway. He says, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Jesus Christ. You know what he's telling us there? He's telling us right there that word apprehend means to lay hold on or to seize upon. And, and, there's, and it, it has the idea of eagerly taking something. It's something that you're zealous about, something you're excited about. He says, I want to apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus has already saved me. Now, I want to save myself from this, uh, this crooked and untoward generation by laying hold on Him. I'm not looking for eternal life by doing that because Jesus had to give me eternal life. He had to save me eternally because not only, uh, not only could I not, I would not have. He tells us in the, in the Scripture in John chapter 5, I believe it is, in verse 39, He says, You will not come unto me that you might have life. You don't want to come to Him in your natural state. You, you refuse to come to Him in your natural state. That's not an invitation. That's an indictment. 
of the human nature, he says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In other words, in your natural state, you are an enemy of God. In your natural state, you have no desire for God. In your natural state, you cannot come to God. But praise God, when he overpowers you and he gives you that new birth, then you can serve him and you can seek him. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I have been apprehended. The Lord has laid hold on me. And by the way, that's the same word that says to eagerly lay hold on. Don't think God is some impersonal uh, being up in the heavens. He eagerly has laid hold of you, beloved. And he says, and now because he has laid hold of me, I want to lay hold of him. You know the idea here is think about when you, those of you that have had small children. You ever, you ever been walking around with them? And, you know, I can remember, I remember we went to the Grand Canyon when Mason was a very, very uh, little. He was about, I don't know, 20, 24 months, something like that. And, and Sherry was terrified, and I really was too, but I was hiding it because uh, I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon, there's no rails. <laughs> and, and a little booger like him who is uh, into everything, next thing I could just see him leaping off the edge, you know. So you know what I did? I had, I had hold of his hand. I had hold of his hand, and I'd walk around with him. And you know, half the time, I had hold of him, and I had him right around the wrist, and his hand was struggling. He's just trying to get away, you know, he's trying to pull away. And I would tell him, hold my hand. Hold my hand. I wasn't going to let him go, but you see, I wanted him to hold my hand too. I wanted to feel him wanting me to hold on to him. That's the way the Lord is. The Lord's not going to let you go, but he wants to feel your hand in his. He wants to fill you with your grip on Him. He wants you to be holding on to Him even as He is holding on to you. I want to apprehend that for which I am apprehended. He says, I press, I press. That word press means to run swiftly. <laughs> I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Hey, I can run the opposite direction. I can live out here like the devil, like the world. I can live like I'm a child of the devil, but I want to live like I'm a child of God. I want to apprehend that for which I have been apprehended. I want to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And then he says, we are looking for a resurrected body. Let's skip down for lack of time to verse 20. He says, for our conversation is in heaven. There's been a lot of talk this week about citizenship. And certainly I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. But you know where my real citizenship lies? In heaven. That, that word here, conversation, it implies a whole lot of things, but it's the only place in the scripture that the Greek word appears here that means citizenship. And it has to do with our lifestyle. It, not just the way we talk, but the way we walk, the way we act, the way we live. And, and if you're worried about the election, beloved, let me just remind you, our citizenship is really not here. We're strangers and pilgrims here in this life. We are not home yet. We have a home where our conversation is. It's called heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking for something, beloved, or we ought to be. Now, we can go around with our eyes on the ground. We can go around with a horizontal view, but we can go around with a vertical view, and we can always be listening 
listening for the trumpet. We can always be looking for the Lord. You know, sometimes when I'm driving down the road, I'll occasionally, I don't really know for sure. We always hear about him splitting the eastern skies. Well, I don't know if it's going to be the eastern sky, but I know he's going to split the skies open. Sometimes I'll look up and say, Lord, boy, it'd be great if I was looking when you opened the skies and came back, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd love to be out here in this graveyard. When the resurrection comes, because you know what's going to happen? He will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I say I'd like to be here, but I really think I'd love to be in a nursing home when the resurrection happens. I'd love to be at the bedside of Someone who's crippled, who's lost their ability to think and comprehend. I don't know if you've walked down through it. None of us have been able to go to a nursing home much lately. But when I was able to go visit and I'd walk down those halls and I'd headed for a certain room to see somebody and, and I'd get down and, and all the way I'd see those in the rooms that were, that were uh, some weeping. Some just sitting there in a catatonic state, some hurting, some in wheelchairs, some just aching for attention. Oh, how glorious it would be to be walking the halls of that nursing home when the last trump sounds and you wouldn't see, the, wouldn't see those dead bodies going up, but to look around and, and see that one in the wheelchair. I don't know if they'll stand up, Brother Buddy, or just lift up. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the ones whose bodies are broken and bent and twisted and tortured, to see them straightened out, to see the ones that are in despair and sorrow, that are lonely, that have no one to visit, no one to care for them, to suddenly see them wrapped up in the arms of this loving, gracious, living Savior. Oh, Beloved, this morning, I pray that, I may, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection because I want to say to you, beloved, this personal, ever-to-be-adored, everlasting friend of sinners is the only hope that we have in a world that is cursed by the sin of Adam. And one day, he's coming back. He's going to fix it all. God be with you till we meet again. One day we will meet to never part. We will meet to never argue. We will meet to never weep. We will meet at Jesus' feet to be forever with the Lord. I trust and pray that that helps you as it helps me in this time of great trouble and, and sorrow. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.